Your preacher needs much maneuvering here. I have my things with me. All three volumes. And here's the thing. First thing Clay would say today, you people, don't you have anything better to do today? How about marching with the teachers? Or maybe watching your cat sleep? But of course, you and I know, Clay would be thrilled to see you here today. Just as long as we don't make too much of a fuss. And so we'll do our best. For we are here to celebrate a most remarkable life. And in honor of this life, we will dot our I's and cross our T's with a very proper Anglican liturgy that frames our grief and invites us into joy. This liturgy... This worship is our safety net, and it was Clay's wish that it include a few choice things. First of all, a little over a year ago, he said, you're going to preach at my funeral, right? And I said, well, I hope not too soon. And then he gave me instructions, as always. Remember, write it tight and make it sing. Yes, Clay, I actually heard this every Sunday for ten years. (laughs) Alas, I failed to heed him on more than one occasion and uh, will likely fail today. The second request was for bagpipes. That was not a wish. That was a demand which followed this and admonition. We are under no circumstances allowed to sing or listen to Amazing Grace. That's it. So if you want to hear Amazing Grace on baptites today, you'll have to make your own arrangements. (laughs) Episcopal 101. The shape of our worship goes back to 1549, And there are many odd and arcane words. One of the articles from the Republic said that Clay was a deacon. And although I believe he had the heart of a deacon, one who serves, he was not ordained. He did have two roles, two different positions here at Trinity. He was senior warden. That's an august title senior warden, and he was verger. The senior warden is a lay leader who helps oversees the affairs of the congregation, and Clay was my senior warden for many years. He called me my dean. Deans are clergy in charge of cathedrals and seminaries, and he would tell you that in a normal cathedral, He would be an unlikely senior warden. But at the time, Trinity was not normal. In those early years, when Clay and Anne and Maddie and Busy 
When they were here at Trinity, things were hard. They were rough around the edges. The neighborhood was in decay. The congregation was tiny, and its very survival was at risk. Clay and Anne and a small group of urban pioneers hunkered down determined to serve the least, the lost, the lonely, and the little, right here from this vantage point, a place of greatest need. I suspect that Clay is actually a little cranky about all the gentrification, but things have changed because of the courage and tenacity of this small band of servants in action. So he was not an ordained deacon, but he was part of the brave and the faithful. He often spoke with affection about the remnant of long-term members who stayed here in those days, who did not flee to fancier places. He called them our grandmothers, and he had an extraordinary fondness for them. He loved them even when they were fussy. Other members of this remnant band, Clay called the Mole People. (laughs) We were blessed with a collection of interesting characters, and they were fully part of this body of Christ, likely not to be tolerated in a more suburban congregation, but they found they had a place here at this table. Clay was the one who most often would welcome them. Invite them in. Come and sit for a while. Listen to a very long and boring sermon. And then have a cookie. His second role, the role of verger, that's a holdover English tradition. Once upon a time, vergers managed the buildings They took care of things, they prepared the space for worship, and they carried the verge. Imagine giving Clay Thompson a stick. (laughs) It was the job of the verger to chase off vermin, Stray dogs, cats, sheep, and whatever livestock wandered into the worship space. The verge could also be used to chastise choir children and to generally torment those who were not listening to the long, boring sermon. Clay carried the stick. He told people where to go. He often served at the 8 o'clock service, where he waited for me to arrive. Driving in from Cave Creek every morning in those early days, it was, it was early. It was really early. So there's Clay, fully vested in his verger's outfit, impatiently standing at the back door. Virgin hand, he would greet me. You know, my dean... The train doesn't stop at Tardy Town. 
And I would respond, I know, Clay, I know. I also know that sometimes he would sneak out during the sermon to smoke. (laughs) On those days, he didn't get to tell me, write it tight and make it sing. So here we are in this beautiful space with all the trappings to help us remember this sainted curmudgeon, this most complex human being who, even in his imperfections, taught us how to delight in the tiniest things, the flotsam and jetsam of life's curiosity posed by you people. Clay gave us something to delight in every day for decades, finding stories tucked away in odd corners and answering serious and silly questions with a twist of wry humor or poignant insight. He is a remarkable story. Clay had the three qualities that makes a human life great. He was kind, he was fierce, and he was mischievous. Even more amazing, he could be all three at once. His capacity to disarm, charm, and expose us is a theme that runs through every column and encounter. To know how deeply he loved his family, friends, and you people, and to know how little he asked in return, that's to be discovered in the afterword of Valley 101, the first book. I quote, So what did you think? I hope you liked it. I had to read the text of this book about 18 times in the course of a month before publication, and frankly, I'm sick to death of it. I think it's best taken in bits and pieces. Still, as I said, I hoped you enjoyed it. Did you notice that nowhere in the book did I mention that my daughters need new shoes? (laughs) Oh, I I guess they could get by for another year sharing a pair. But still, it would be nice if they could each have their own, don't you think? We are disarmed, charmed, and ready to order a dozen books so that Maddie and Busy could have a pair of shoes, or so that the children at Papa's school would actually have what they need every day. In a world where strife and dissension abound, a bit of joy was delivered in section two, the back page. I don't know where we'll go now, but I do know this. Clay taught us to live abundantly. He taught us to love our neighbors, and he was a neighbor to us, a good Samaritan dressed in a ratty bathrobe or a verger's vestments. Clay called us you people, but knew us as you beloved friends. 
In Occupy Gooberville, there is a column from January 25, 2009. The title, The Truth About False Dawns and Brown Pelicans. The question is about the phenomenon of false dawns, a period when the sky is said to lighten up for a time, then go dark again before the actual dawn. Clay writes, Is there such a phenomenon? Sure. Didn't you ever read The Rubiot by Omar Khayyam? Before the phantom of false morning died, methought a voice within the tavern cried, When all the temple is prepared within, why lags the drowsy worshiper outside? Clay continues, Nice, huh? A little bit of poetry always classes the place up a bit, doesn't it? Yes, Clay, it does. And we all feel the disorientation of this false dawn, for it cannot be true that this is an ending. There is another line in the Rubiat to recite today. The morning finger writes, and having writ, moves on, nor all your piety nor wit shall lure it back to cancel half a line, nor all your tears wash out a word of it. From now on, his words will stand, and not half a line, nor our tears will wash out a word of it. The true dawn has come, and morning has broken. All that is written is written. But thanks be to God, we can continue to enter into the presence of this amazing man each time we tell his story or read from his collection of wisdom and delight. And finally, Clay, we will no longer worry about you and will rejoice that you are reunited with your mother and your father and that together with Barbara Bush and Carl Castle, we are assured that heaven will never be the same again. (laughs) Amen. Amen. I just want to offer a brief welcome to Trinity Cathedral today. My name is Troy Mendez, and as Dean here, it's my great honor to be the officiant of today's service. Thank you so much to my colleague, uh, Rebecca McLean, for a wonderful sermon, and welcome on behalf of all the family. Thank you for being here today. Just a couple of quick announcements. One is the family invites you to a reception afterwards that's going to be in the art gallery and also in Atwood Hall. So all the ground floor of our campus, there will be uh, plenty of food and drink for everyone. So please do stay if you can. Also, if you parked in the garage behind us and you need to get back to one of the upper levels and you have any trouble getting up the elevator, please just see our building attendant and they will be happy to assist you getting back to your car. 
third thing is that uh, Clay's publisher is, has brought a gift for each one of you, some type of bobblehead figurine. So um, uh, uh, before you go home today, please do pick one up if you can. And finally, this is a more of a public service announcement. Currently, our schools are not, go, uh, the schools right now are not in service. The children are at home or they are under the care of another adult. One of the things that happens is that many children go hungry when school is not in session. And so I would invite you as we explored the reading of Who is My Neighbor to pay attention which children around you and your neighborhood might be going hungry and commit in Clay's spirit of looking out for neighbors commit to doing something about it. And now I invite you to please stand and sing hymn 686.